You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour! Hello, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you all casual conversation on the shows and the films and the concerts and the, and everything that we basically see and observe throughout our careers. Today's episode will feature spoilers, so please make sure you check out the content that we're discussing before listening forward or not, but it's up to you. You have been warned. This is always our warning. <laughs> Today we're talking about the smash hit new musical that has just landed on Broadway titled Some Like It Hot. I'm going to give you a little bit of background, as I always do on the show before discussing. Some like it hot. Some like it hot is currently playing at the Sam S. Schubert Theater on 44th Street in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. Some like it hot has a book by Matthew Lopez and Amber Ruffin, with music by Mark Shaman and lyrics by Scott Whitman and Mark Shaman. It's based on the MGM motion picture Some Like It Hot, for a lot of you who are familiar with. This production was directed and choreographed by Casey Nicola. So, wow. Good old Casey Nicholas. Yeah, who's, who does a lot of shows now. He's always got three or four shows running that at one time, I feel, on Broadway. This show, um, we actually saw this on two separate evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you had went one night, I went another night, I went a week prior. We had seen this in previews. And after just seeing it, we kind of realized nothing much had changed in the one week between when I saw it and you saw it. So it's basically we're talking about just about the same show here. Mm-hmm. Um, overall thoughts, what do you think? What is What are your thoughts on this whole production my one two three thoughts i um i think that this is just that good old classical musical theater more modern not so much like classic old school theater but modern show that you just have fun at you just go in and you enjoy a fun story and you enjoy fun music with a great jazz score great Big band all over the place and a lot of tapping. A lot of tapping. Tap, tap, tapity tap. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting because I really feel like the trend of the last 10 or 15 years, maybe even longer, has been rock and roll musicals, small orchestras, belty, 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 edgy, dark. And I love that for Broadway. And I Mm -hmm. think that's always going to kind of be around now. But every few years you get this splashy, loud, fun jubilant uh, piece of theater that and sometimes when you look at shows to compare this to something like 42nd street or thoroughly modern millie those are usually big splashy shows and you leave there with like oh that was a nice story but maybe there's no like message or like intention other than just being fun and there's something about this in some like it hot that not only leaves you feeling good but there's such a message associated with it Mm -hmm. and i think that the film if we talk about the film for a second what that was a really cutting edge film for its time. Yeah. It actually for a few years, I want to say, and I could be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure it was a few months or a few years where it was um too it, it wasn't getting approval ratings for the longest time. A lot of people they were saying it's not it was too, too cutting edge for its time. Okay. Um and and then it became this like you know it's it's one of the funniest films ever uh, voted on in in all the rankings as one of the funniest films. It is very funny. Marilyn Monroe, right? And there's parts of it you could tell when you're watching the film, ooh, this something's yearning to come out here about gender, about expression. There's something that was wanting to be said here. Mm-hmm. And to bring it to the 
limelight here on a main stage in 2022 and keep that fun, jazzy energy from a story that takes place in the 1930s, but bring it to reality today, I really commend Matthew Lopez and Amber Ruffin on that book. Matthew Lopez, who won a Tony Award for The Inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just... And then you take Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman's score. They do Hairspray. They do Smash. They do these huge, jazzy scores, and it works. And I saw them standing outside the theater after the performance. Uh, I saw them standing there, and I and I have to say, at the stage door, there's Christian Borel coming out, and and Jay Harrison G, and all these people, and and we'll talk about them in a second. And everyone's cheering them at the stage door, and then I turn over, and I, and I can recognize Scott and Mark because I, I I've seen them in interviews and things, and I see them standing there, and they're just kind of standing there together. I'm like, wait a second, they wrote this whole thing, and like they're just standing there. So I ha- I went up to them, I said, hey, this was great. This score is so great. I, I hope I wish you all the best of luck. And one of them turned to me and said, "Thank you. Please tell everybody to come." And I said, "Yeah, I will. I will. I will. I will. I will." And it was just that quick five second interaction. I think meant a lot to them, and and meant a lot to me to be able to tell these composers, "Listen, I've I was a kid when Hairspray was around, and I I love that score." And mm-hmm. to me, a lot of the times, it's about the score, and I think this score really works. Yeah, and I really, really do. And I feel like that's a little bit on like what our opinion kind of is on on shows in general because someone might go into this show and be like "Mm, it was fun but it's not my cup of tea Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but i feel like we do that with shows all the time too so i i do agree that it's like it's fun but is it going to be for everyone this show well you wonder that because there's issues uh well let's talk about some of these performances a little bit right because i will say this christian boris christian borrell and Jay Harrison G yeah. have duo status that is uh, – I'm blown away by how the two of them play off each other. Yeah, There's a number in the beginning of Act 1. I think they're tapping and doing a – it's a very uh, white Christmas moment for the two guys. It's um, it's like bosom buddies in, in name. It's that duo moment. And I think they play off each other so well in the show. Mm-hmm. They really have great chemistry. I'm blown away by the comedy. I'm blow, blown away by Jay's transformation of that yeah. character through the piece. I think those two are stars. Yeah. And I think they are wonderful in this. A lot of the main actors in this, I think, were great standouts. And, I think Christian Borrell was a great standout. Yeah. Jay Harrison G were a great standout. Adriana Hicks was a great And Adriana standout. Hicks was amazing. Well, let's talk about her for a second. She is doing it very different than Marilyn. What are your thoughts on that? Marilyn was so, ooh, like, I'm on the train and now I'm here. And she had had such a different mm. approach to this character as Sugar. What were your thoughts on that? Very different. So I think that... Because we had just seen the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm, I was, so, it was so embedded in me of what this sugar is supposed to be in the movie. I was like, "Oh, are we going to get that on the stage?" Mm. And I don't think we really got that on the stage. We got Adriana's take on it, but then it had me like yearning for like wanting some of that Marilyn Monroe, like kind of like ditziness. And I know that probably doesn't work in today's world where we like make the kind of ditzy bimbo character like the star. And now we want it to be a little bit more like empowerment and those kinds of things, which is fine, but it just was missing some of that, just like that LOL funniness. I I almost feel like the comedy of the character was kind of absent. And the singing is there because, wow, can she sing and belt a ballad. Right, but I think that this is something we talk about. 
The way Marilyn Monroe played that character was camp. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe is camp, mm-hmm. you know? And there's something that's kind of teetering the lines, I think, in the industry right now, whether it's the music industry, the film industry, the Broadway industry, any of them, that we're, like, afraid of this word camp. Because it's like, everyone needs to take everything so serious now, but camp was so funny. John Waters is a prime example of camp films, right? From the 80s. I mean, camp was an 80s and 90s thing. Yes, but if someone from like a younger generation watched a John Waters film, they probably would say, what is this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like try to cancel it. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And that's why I feel like, yeah, it's it's, it's an art. Camp is an art. It's and an art. I feel like, but I do feel like Ad- Adriana Hicks found, tried to find a route to sugar. And that was great. And I think singing-wise it really worked. Yes. The, but I actually think who stole the female... Excuse me. Who stole the female comedy a bit was Natasha Vett Williams. Yes. With the whole like making fun of Christian Borle for being old the whole time, I was laughing out loud at her one-liners about him. Like that bit worked. She was funny as the band leader, and I thought that was a great performance too. Well, I was going to ask you who do you kind of feel like stole the show? So oh. you kind of like yeah. Oh, you want, you want to know who I think in their moment stole the show? Are you ready for this? Kevin Del Aguila. I, I hope the, I'm saying his name right. Okay, well. As, as Osgood. <laughs> I put the same thing. Oh, my God. I said, this, everyone's talking about everyone else. No, that man stole the show. Because when he came in, he owned the stage. In all of Act 2. I don't even know if he's in Act 1. Maybe a little. Maybe he at comes, the end of Act 1? He comes toward the end yeah. because they get he to the hotel. Is this char- he found the charm of that man in that yeah. film. That man in the film who's like a little odd and like yeah. campy and silly and cheesy. But he kept the camp. And he kept it. And he was just like there falling in love with Jay's character. And I love. I just loved him. I yeah. thought he was so great. I think there was something about his performance that just really stood out. Because when I think back to the show, that's the performance I remember. Uh-huh. Christian Borle was great. But... Is it predictable for Christian Borle and what sure, he did on the stage? Sure. Kind of, because we've seen him done this many times yeah. now. It's kind of uh-huh. like, not that he's a one-trick pony because he's very good at what he does, mm-hmm. but that wasn't a standout yeah. for me. It was expected from yeah. him. But what was not expected was seeing someone like Kevin playing Osgood, yeah. who just completely owned the stage when mm-hmm. he was... He's saying Let's Be Bad, right? I believe so with the ensemble a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Which, Let's Be Bad, as <laughs> for those of you who follow, um, is from Smash. Yes. So when I heard that song, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've heard this song before. Oh, they took a song from another work that's yeah. not really on Broadway or coming to Broadway anytime soon, maybe. I don't know. And put it in this. Why wouldn't you? If you were a composer, you write all these songs and you, you take a song you wrote and put it in this. I make sense. And it works for this. Well, let's be for real. If this song is in this show, is Bombshell ever coming? I don't coming? know. We don't know. We don't <laughs> is know. Bombshell really ever knows. coming? They literally just told us all, yeah. stop asking about Bombshell. It's not. Uh, basically, if they did this, right? <laughs> um, I will say there's also, I really like, speaking of Kevin's character at the end, in the film In the film, they do this, like, wait, but he's trying to say, but I'm a man, and I, do you still love me? And all that. And he's like, I don't really care. You know, they yeah. kept that. But Jay never says... But I'm a man. Or wait, it takes the wig off and exposes who he re- who he is, because that's who he really is in right. this moment. And Kevin's character is like, I love you for what I'm seeing right here and who you're portraying to be. Yeah. That's who I love you for. And I kept that really great moment at the end. Now that being said, there is a moment in the film that I love that I am disappointed we're, was not in this. Oh, it was in it. But it wasn't in it a lot. Yeah, let's talk about let's it. Let's talk about it. Because we both have the same feeling. When I watch this. this film and I see this romping, roll in the hay, 
different um, suites in the train, and yes. they're all the girls on the train, and they're let's drink, and oh, don't come in my, and they're trying to hide that they're guys, and they don't want to. <laughs> oh my gosh, the bit camp in that! I said, oh my god, they're. I'm probably, I'm sure they're going to have like a three-story train. And it's going to, they're going to be running all over the rooms and it's going to be a bit. Now they did a room door slamming bit in the Broadway show. And I thought that was very impressive. Yeah. That was great. But why would you just put us on the train? Adrianic sings her ballad. And then we land in the location. Why didn't we have the campy, like, okay, if anyone knows 42nd Street, shuffle off to Buffalo is the number where they're all in the train car and they're all running for, and who's like to Niagara yeah. and a sleeper and, and shuffle and they're all going to Buffalo for their honeymoon. That's such camp of the 1930s. I thought that was completely missing here. I thought they could have done a whole number about that and, and to highlight those girls in the band. Well, let's talk about this because to compare and contrast the film and the, the stage production, I just don't understand how we could watch the film or how they could watch the film and then start writing this book and basically write out the all-female band. They were there, but I felt like they were an afterthought completely. And they were almost dancing more than they were like playing instruments and speaking and being highlighted as uh, this all-female band, which what an uh, for the 1930s, an all-female band, you have – uh, um, an African-American woman leading the band. You have an African-American woman as the lead singer of the band. Like, that was very wonderful because that was also really happening in the 30s and yeah. I'm glad that they showed that. But why were you not giving the band, which in the movie, what is it, like 30 girls and in this, it was like 8 to 10? Yeah. So, okay, but... But we stripped the band down, okay. And give now... Them a big and now their camp and their moments, which this is really about these two men having to go incognito to escape getting murdered to join an all-female band. But then we just leave the female band at the train station almost, and they're there, and we we meet them, and we just don't have a, a moment or a huge scene with them. And I get it. They have that scene where they go to Mexico in act two yeah. and they sing, let's be bad yeah. with, um, but I, Osgood. But there was something about that scene on the train that I think you and I still remember watching it in the film. Yeah. And we're like, Oh, this is going to be huge on the it stage. It didn't even have to be a dance number. It and didn't have to bring, be anything, just a bring, comedy number. Okay, but they bring out a huge train. Yeah. And then we don't do anything yeah. with it. They have a bathroom scene, which is the scene that happens in the film. Yeah. And it's like, mm, that was it. Yeah. Or just give the all-female band a number that doesn't involve anyone else. Just give them a moment. Like, let that speak. Let that, yeah. the fact that we have but this But they kept film. having moments throughout the show, which is what didn't make sense. Like... When they're at the beach and they're <laughs> there was a, okay. Also, not to say this needed to be risque at all, but when you're dealing with like romance and relationships and different and and different gender identities and and sexual fluidity and things like that, why wasn't there a scene at a beach where like they're in bathing suits and they're running around the where was that? It seemed like everything was set inside for a yeah. movie that so much of it is outside, inside, traveling, travel. I was like, there could have we could have kicked off act two with like this beautiful beach scene. I don't know. Just yeah. take us out of for one number and then bring us back to the inside of the band hall. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about set for a second. I un- I will say, as much as I really loved this, the most disappointing choices were in the scenery. Yeah. Everything is two-dimensional. You have the band way at the top, which I to have this huge band is amazing. And half of them are in the pit and half of them are up at the top. But they're barely seen or used up there. Actors are barely up there. 
You're yeah. filling this space, and then two-dimensional things are coming in and out, and I'm like, I don't know. I've seen a bit more impressive scenery than that. And I understand you need to keep a clear stage for a lot of dance numbers, but to me, I thought they could have made a more in- inclusive, immersive train, inclusive, immersive bandstand, inclusive, immersive uh, in some of these dressing rooms. The dressing rooms seemed very yeah. skimpy to me. I guess what's also a little interesting, too, is like, why are these big shows... If the stage is not big enough to do something big, why are we putting these shows in these smaller theaters? Mm -hmm. I know that this theater is big in terms of seating capacity, but the stage doesn't look big enough for a show like this. Put it on the Broadway stage. Put it at the but where you have this big stage to do something like this. This is a spectacle show. Mm -hmm. As much as it's like that classic musical theater, this is a spectacle. And if we're going to keep doing these sets that are just minimal, it's not going to work for these spectacles. And it's going to come across as looking cheap. But in the same theater was Hello, Dolly! Revival. And I thought that there was many locations that had to be highlighted in that. And I thought that was a wonderful set design. I thought we were in eight different locations in with a huge ensemble, so then just they're not fine. using the they're not using the stage. It, their... it comes down to how you use a space. Yeah, um, and so, I think that's and and, and the, all these stages are big. So don't so. build this big bandstand for no reason on the stage and put the band back in the orchestra down below because guess what? Most of us from at least my sightline, I couldn't even see the band. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And I couldn't even see when Christian and Jay went up. Top. Mm-hmm. I even said it to you, and you were like, "They went up there." Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah," because yeah. it was a, a sightline issue. But I know not everyone cares about Who's every seat in yes. the, yeah. the stage. But I, you know? I will <laughs> say, the strongest design I found was the costume design. Greg Barnes yeah, is the costume great. designer. They what a way to highlight a costume period or a clothing period, but then make it theater, make it yeah. glamorous. Jay looks stunning. Adriana, all of them. I am. This has to win costume design. I'm sorry. I don't. I haven't seen everything yet. But when I'm seeing, it's too early. It's too but early. He'll but put his positions. Up it, it's the same early. costume designer <laughs> as Kinky Boots and Aladdin. I'm pretty sure. And those are both amazing designs. What a brilliant yeah. designer! I thought the costumes were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And then let's talk about choreography. Mm-hmm. When we're in this day and age of punk rock, modern, right? Or we go to like the revivals and we see ballet. Yeah. Tap dancing is kind of at the root of Broadway. Yeah. And other than one tap number in Aladdin performed eight times a week, one tap number in Book of Mormon performed eight times a week. Which I believe we're both Casey Nicola. We're both Casey Nicola. <laughs> there's there's one or two tap numbers in Funny Girl, not Casey Nicola. I don't maybe there's a tap number in Beetlejuice. I feel like maybe, I can't remember. With the skeletons, yeah. I think, yeah. I don't know if there's any other this might be the lowest there's been tap on a Broadway stage in a long time. Mm. In terms of, you know, you always got five, six, seven shows with tap in it. This has not one, not two, not five. There's gotta be ten numbers of tap in this num- in this show. And there's just something thrilling about a tap number. When you see Millie, when you see 42nd Street, you see this. That was the style of dance of the time. Yeah. Of the time, that's what people wanted to see. What do people want to see now? Belting. Edgy. Cool, cool. But but well, at the time... You're creating dance for the music, so you're not going to do a tap number in a pop song. Right, exactly. But it makes sense 
at the time, yes. that's what the style of dance was. Of if you talk to our grandparents' generation, I could have that's had a little they... bit of diversity in the choreo up there. Like it, we could have had some swing happening. Sure, we some... could have. We could have had a slow. We could have even had a short ballet moment if we really wanted to. Maybe some. Yeah. Well, there was the Hollywood number. There was a little bit of Hollywood style ballet dancing. A little bit, you know, yeah. of a style coupled off. People coupled off. I um, think. But it was as great. much as I thought the music was great and. They had many standouts and the choreo as well. I'm not going to knock either of them because I think they were both fun and they did what they needed to do. There's still something for me that may have been a little bit forced or missing in the music where it's like we just jump into these numbers at times and you don't give the audience that like breathing moment. Yeah. You're like, Whoa, okay. We're in this again. And I get it for the band moments. I get it that it's supposed to act like the band was already playing, but there were a few songs on there that it was just like, here we go. We're going. And I'm like, okay, uh, do we not have an intro anymore? I've heard what these guys can do in their intros. We've heard hairspray. It's like, boom, Boom, boom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let people get into the show. Let a siren start. (laughs) We have a siren going by. Let a siren start and get us into the moment. Well, I will say, okay, so to play devil's advocate, I hear you on that. Totally. And there were moments where it was like, whoa, abrasive. Okay, give me a minute. But it was a lot. It was a lot. However, I'm sure someone sitting at the creative table said at some point, this was a time where people were not legally allowed to drink alcohol. This was a time where people were breaking free of the the roaring 20s into the 30s. World wars. This was a time to... to What was going on under in these clubs? People were breaking the mold. The music was, the way people were dressing, the way people were trying to... You had to secretly drink and purchase alcohol. And it was illegal to drink and purchase alcohol. So, yes, I think that the the title alone, Some Like It Hot, let's just make this the biggest thing since COVID that we've seen on Broadway. And it almost went a little bit I think it goes a little bit too much at times. And I also find that sometimes in these, like, new works from or from a film to a musical we forget the plot when it comes to the music and i did find that at times sometimes the music really was not driving the plot at all yes especially with this show and which is typical of shows of that time sometimes i'm not saying that's right or wrong i'm just saying it's very typical for there to be songs and shows from a long time ago that are like what's the point of this song but i feel like this is not the first time that we're really seeing this happen Mm. it's happening a few times now we just saw it with k-pop too like um why are we creating these songs that have nothing to do with the music that's not what we were doing musicals for right i mean it was driving plot. It's to drive what's happening just in the form of song. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, or- no, no. It makes sense. And I feel like, yes, there were times where we were just having a jazz number to have a jazz number. Right? And I'm feeling like it's filler. But yeah. And and it was, and like I said, it was two and a half hours. It maybe could have been trimmed up a little bit. Maybe, you know. Yeah. I. Again, we'll go back to the scene on the train car, which would have been great. Um, why did we have a 10-minute dialogue scene on the yacht? Right. And the yacht, and, and the yacht, the scenery for that was like, oh, we're on a boat now? Okay, yeah. it doesn't look like we are. I, I just, the scenery to me wasn't Which is like greatest. something that like came in there and I'm like, mm, yeah. you know. 
But thank, thank God that we have these, like I said, these stories being told. We're putting, we're putting black actors in roles that are, that maybe they would have, wouldn't have played in the films a long time ago. And now we're seeing that and, and, and it makes complete sense. And I love that. Mm-hmm. We're seeing trans moments here in a classic piece. We're not seeing this set in 2022. This is a show set in the 1930s. Right. And they took something from a 50s film that was like trying to bust a glass ceiling and maybe couldn't Well, it's a nice take on it because it's something that's saying like, hey, probably we wanted to do it this way, but in the 1930s we couldn't. Yeah. Or whenever this was. In the 50s, the movie? The 50s, yeah. Yeah. But but let me ask you this question. Do we see more shows like this on Broadway? While Broadway right now is full of jukebox musicals with a lot of rock and new shows that are like edgy, a drum, two guitars, and a, you know, and, you know, edgy, small, small, small. Because of budgets, I understand these are very expensive. But do we see more of these be in, in revival format or in new works like this? These splashy, big, tap, jazzy shows? Because jazz is scarce on Broadway right now. And do, do we mean, see more jazz coming in the next few years to Broadway? Do you mean more like, do we see movies from the past that kind of are like teetering the line of joining uh, the musical format? I mean it in general. Do we see more 42nd Street revivals? Do we see more things like this? Do we see more new shows with jazz scores? Whether they're based on a movie or not. I don't think we're really going to see like that many more new jazz shows. I think they're going to be once, probably like one a season. Yeah. I think that, but you're not going to see 10 a season. Mm. People, People want the revivals. People want the pop scores. People want the biopics. People want... The rock numbers, that's unfortunately, like, for most, if you like it, great. But if you don't, then that's still what we're getting. Because why? It's what sells. Almost Famous is a movie to musical right. form. And it's selling-ish. Got terrible reviews, but it's still selling. Mm-hmm. It's what people know and want. I bet you people are picking Almost Famous over Some Like It Hot at times because they're like, hmm, oh, I know what that is. Mm. Yeah, well, but I you want to see a rock score. But someone who might be in their 60s or 70s might be choosing some like it hot over someone in their 40s. Right, so there's something for everyone. Right. And that's what's so beautiful about Broadway. Yeah. And we talk well, about we this all the it's time because for there's everyone. 41 theaters. Yep. And we need to see more diversity in what kinds of shows are there. There could be this jazz show. There could be a pop score. There could be a biopic. There could be 10 plays. But There's don't... so many theaters, so I don't think it's going to turn into this whole thing. And guess what? We're going to start seeing new things. Because <laughs> when Mike Barbiglia's one-man show, which is basically a comedy stand-up, is playing, playing almost it. 100%, yeah. Yeah. we're going to see more of that on Broadway. And, and it's going to get billed as a Broadway show. And, and people are going to be like, eh, I don't really like that that's how Broadway's becoming. But guess what? Well, there's something for everyone. There's something for everyone. And I will and say, don't... If you don't, don't f- like it, don't see it, go see something else. Because you have 41 shows to see. But from. don't forget, you know... Eight times a week at the Ambassador Theater, Chicago is playing yeah. for 25 years. That's a jazz score. Yeah. They're, uh, never had a friend like me in Aladdin. That's a jazz number with tap dance. I yeah. mean, we are seeing it. I'm not saying we're not seeing it. Right. But I think that it'll be interesting to see. We Sometimes the pendulum swings one way and then it swings another. We get like a ton of revivals and then we get no revivals. We get a ton of small yeah. five-piece bands and then none. Uh, 
And we get I a million that, plays, and then we get no plays. I mean, it, but what's interesting in the Broadway world is everyone has this mentality that a show should go on Broadway and it should play forever, and I just don't think that's reality. Yeah. Well, and at, I think people at, need to get that out of their thick heads sometimes. That like, hey, a show can go on, could have some success, and then we move on from it, and yeah. something else will come. Like when a show closes, Broadway's not ending, so everyone can stop. Well, Stephen Sondheim had all his shows would run. Most of his shows, not like Merrily, didn't really run very long, but most of his shows would run for a year, yeah. two years, three years. I don't know of a Sondheim show that's ever ran for 25 years. Yeah. So, And that's okay, but he's a brilliant writer. Right. And, and does Into the Woods run for 25 years on Broadway? No. no. Does Sweeney Todd run but, for 25 years on Broadway? Sunday the, the Park with George? No, but, they, but Into the Woods comes back every 10 years. Right. Or Sweeney Todd but, comes back every But Gypsy five years and West Side and, Story does too, and it makes sense, and it works for a couple of years, and then it goes away again, and it right. comes back. And There's then when it leaves, regional theaters and community theaters and high school theaters and all of these other places can do the work. Yeah. And that's how a show lives on. Yeah. And I think sometimes people forget that. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, how many people would love to do Wicked? Sure. In school. Yeah. Or, you know, when that show goes off, get everyone to start singing for good again. Yeah. Because get ready, you're going to hear it. But, but, but don't forget, but if, a show is, if a show is pulling in over a million dollars a week, why stop that train? You they know, not every to. show does, but some are. Some yeah, are pulling in almost $2 million a week. Why stop that, that tra- gravy train? So. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. Time flying by as we're talking about this new musical comedy on Broadway, Some Like It Hot. Final I think th- I want to... Ask you, yeah. instead of saying final thoughts, okay. I'm going to say to you, yes. give one reason mm-hmm. why people or anyone should just go see Some Like It Hot on Broadway. One reason. Because it's a fresh, new, feel-good show for Broadway with a great message. Mm-hmm. That's my statement. You can have those splashy, fun, feel-good shows and also walk out of there with a sense of, oh, there was a message. It wasn't just people singing and dancing and I went home. Yeah, There was a message here about identity. And I think that's really important today. And to tell that message from a show that's set almost 100 years ago is breathtaking. And you're having fun and you're laughing. And with the COVID times that we've been in and the horrible tragedies we read in the news literally daily, this is an escapism piece for two and a half hours, and I think that's exactly what Broadway needs. Same question right back at you. <laughs> uh, go see Some Like It Hot, specifically, I think, for the talent that's on that stage, performing that show and dancing the goodness out of it. Mm-hmm. I almost cursed it. <laughs> but we weren't going to do that. <laughs> um, no, they are... It is a great show. I'm in agreement with you. It's so nice and fresh to have this show come in this season when we've seen the same thing over and over again. This is just a breath of fresh air for people that like jazz music and for people that like tap, which is you and I. Yes. So <laughs> if you don't like either of those things, you might not have the same opinion. But I mm-hmm. do think it's fun, and I definitely think it's a highlight of this season. So take a break off of Wicked this <laughs> season and go see something like it. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Please head over to at Half Hour Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and comment on our posts. Let us know what you think. You can listen to this where all wherever you stream your podcasts, as you already know, because you're listening to it right now. And make sure you follow us at Half Hour Podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment for the latest. We have lots of shows coming up. Lots of shows coming up. We're scheduling our podcasts, and we're realizing that 
there is just so much coming. And we this is like exactly what we wanted two or three years ago, you know? So thank goodness, as they say in Wicked, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed. And make sure you check us out weekly for more pop and theater episodes. So signing off for now, I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.